five teenagers are given the ability to transform into any animal they touch. Using this technology, they alone must fight a secret infiltration of Earth by a parasitic race of aliens known as the Yerks. They can't tell you who they are or where they are from, but we're here to tell you their story. This is the Millennial Agenda, Animorphs Edition. Welcome everyone to the Millennial Agenda, Animorphs Edition, a weekly discussion of K.A. Applegate's sci-fi action series, The Animorphs. I'm your host, Josh Gunderson. I'm joined by my Animorphs Edition co-host, Kevin Morey. This week, we are discussing Book 19, The Departure. Y'all... Cassie is straight up not having a good time, and we find her at the beginning of this book fighting with depression, PTSD, and just a slew of mental health issues. She's not doing okay. And it's so bad that she makes the very snap decision to quit the Animorphs right after a particularly not-so-great battle. The next day, she saves a little girl from a bear, and it turns out that this child, Karen, is actually a controller who followed Cassie after the prior night's battle. The two find themselves lost in the woods and being stalked by a jaguar, because why not? And Cassie spends all of this time trying to make a connection with the Yerk in Karen's head, the Yerk's name, Aftran. She convinces Aftran not to take another host and let Karen go free, and in exchange, she will trap herself in the body of a caterpillar, which she does. But then Cassie transforms into a butterfly, which apparently resets the morph clock, and she is able to return to her human body, which I can only imagine slightly pisses Tobias off just a little bit. And that is a departure. <laughs> oh, this book is a lot. This now, book is a lot. Is this the one that like everyone hates? I feel like this is a very polarizing book. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if, it's, if it's like everybody hates it, but... I think that it's pretty much agreed upon by fans that the ending is kind of a cop out. It's kind of a, Oh, everything worked out. I just have a, it's mm. just let it out. That's what we're here for. Yeah. The whole <laughs> say your feelings, Kevin. I just have a hard time buying that. The uh, metamorphosis of caterpillar to butterfly resets the timer because that tells us that the, the timer with morphing like if it can be reset why haven't they figured out a way to do that you know what i mean like it just it just bugs me and you're absolutely right tobias must feel like shit watching this happen like well i guess i <laughs> like it just mm, i don't <laughs> well, have the I words mean, they <laughs> i mean we we like ka and co are playing very fast and loose with like like science because mm -hmm. um we're going to flash back to the last book, and I still have the word written down in my notebook. I am no entomologist, but <laughs> I feel like a caterpillar does not immediately... Like, I actually, no, I know they don't because I looked it up. It takes a hot minute for a caterpillar to fully oh, yeah. cocoon and chrysalis itself. And then it takes more than three days for it to turn into a butterfly. Like, that is a couple weeks long process, my friends. Mm -hmm. Like... Mm -hmm. And of course, they they sort of shrug it off like Cassie always was the fastest morpher. Like, shut the fuck up. But I love I love this book. I actually enjoyed it, and I don't know if it's just because of the like particular mood that I'm in today. I've been like I've been in a shit mood all day long. I'll be the first to admit that. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, I started reading, and I'm like, oh, I Cassie, I feel you right now for the first time. I'm like, ah, oh, Cassie and I are one in our emotions, <laughs> you know, with the with the depression and the whatnots. 
And I I liked this book because I think it it really falls back on a lot of what we talked about at the very beginning of doing this whole reread is that it's it really speaks to the amazing nature of these books and that it's we um we once again no one's the bad guy in their own story and instead of right. like that black and white that we get with other books especially YA novels where there's clearly a good guy clearly a bad guy it really stops in like this is all very heavy for a kid's book by the way the conversation that Cassie has with Aftran and I keep wanting to say Afghan and I'm going to slip up and say it at some point so y'all be prepared <laughs> um but the conversation they have in the woods when they're debating this back and forth about um you know who is right and who is wrong and you know uh like the humans are predators but they don't see that it's bad because they are predators and yes the yurks are parasites but that since they are parasites they don't consider themselves bad and it's that amazing conversation and if y'all are not aware of um and i can't believe it still exists the anabase which is something that created uh scholastic created way back in the day remember early form internet y'all early form <laughs> internet um but um there's a great quote from uh ka applegate within the anabase um where she discusses this um this need to show us the sort of uh bad guy point of view and she says sometimes the bad guys of the world come at you guns blazing sometimes they come at you wearing a mask hiding their intentions deceiving and manipulating turning one person against the other without giving you a fair chance to fight back Life would be easier all around if evil people would simply announce that they are evil so we could all reject them. But in most cases, evil creeps in, hiding behind politics. So relevant. So relevant right now. Uh, philosophy, patriotism, law, religion, science, art. Sometimes evil could be very plausible, logical. Uh, that's why I've gradually fleshed out this history of the Yerks, and I hope the readers will on occasion find themselves thinking, you know what? The Yerks are making sense, which is what I did. I did. I did. I was like, holy shit, is a yerk making sense to me right now? Is this mm -hmm. how Donald Trump did it? Um, and they kind of <laughs> had a point. Um, it's easy to figure out right and wrong when it's clear as black and white. But the challenge in our lives is to be able to figure out right and wrong, even when the bad guys kind of have a point. Like, that is some heavy shit for a YA novel. Like, that is something that I would expect from, like, maybe, like, a hot, like, Maybe still young adult, but like on a higher tier, like meant for high schoolers. But y'all, these books mm -hmm. were meant for children. The core demographic was like those preteen people. <laughs> and granted, we we were growing along with these books, but these books came out so fast that we didn't get it. We didn't get a chance to grow up from the mm -hmm. point the series starts to the point that this book comes out. It's only been a couple years. So I just it's yeah it's been it's been about 2 years since the series started that this book finally came out. But as a, a young reader that started when I did, I started in I ugh I'm want to say 4th or 5th grade and I don't remember how old 4th or 5th graders are, but they're not it's that like old. It's like 9 or 10. Is it? Wow. Yeah. So I was probably at that point then like getting up to the Animorphs age, but like Wow. The, like, um, heavy stuff. I came in a little bit later. I started in middle school, which was the 
you know, kind of the age group that these were marketed to, but obviously my middle school years were a little bit after yours. Um, <laughs> so I, I came into reading these books with only like a few left to be published. Like I, I remember when uh, 54 was published, which is the last book that I, I had to wait to get it. Um, but yeah, I remember reading this one and this was probably like the heaviest stuff I had read at that point. Cause I wasn't really exposed to a lot of, uh, pop culture in general in my life. Um, that's just my experience. So this was like probably the most intense thing I'd ever encountered. And I remember really being like taken aback by it. Um, but I also remember distinctly, even as a child getting to the end of the book and being like, I don't buy this. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, I was always annoyed that she turns into a butterfly on the cover but she doesn't morph into a butterfly. She morphs into a caterpillar that then morphs into a butterfly. Yeah. I, yeah. That it's kind of like spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's, I, I will say this. I, I, I like this cover. I think this cover is beautiful. It is, which is why it annoyed me as a kid who was really into <laughs> art and drawing. Cause I used to draw these covers like in my spare time. I was so annoyed that they did this beautiful cover and then it wasn't even real. She didn't do that. She never does that. In fact, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it actually, a question that came up for me was when it comes to, I mean, I don't ever see her having or wanting the need to morph back into a, a caterpillar, but like, can, does she have the caterpillar DNA or does she have the butterfly DNA? If she were right. to try to morph back. Right, because would she have, like, I don't think she has butter, butter, I don't think she has butterfly DNA in her body at all, which I guess is how, oh, that's how it reset, but, like, I just, she probably, she could still morph into the caterpillar, yes, which tells me that she could probably go through that whole process again, which, honestly, if I had the morphing ability, and I were stuck in caterpillar morph, and then turned into a butterfly, and then was able to turn back into human, I'd be like, well, shit, anytime the world is too much for me, I'm gonna turn into a fucking caterpillar, and go into chrysalis and like be unconscious for a solid like five days and then come back and just turn back into a human. Hey guys, back from vacation. I just was in the void. My consciousness was just kind of on a break <laughs> and I'm ready to come back at all this horror. I mean, that's, you know what? That's a pretty solid plan. Like that's the equivalent of like, boy, a coma would be great right now. Right. Oh my God. If I had a nickel for every time I wished I was in a coma for like at least a day, you know? <laughs> How I mean, else am I going to get rest? <laughs> I mean, I was in an involuntary coma for most of today. I just, yeah, I just same. Slept, I just slept all day. <laughs> and then I, I want to talk about the leopard because I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to read you, like, just read through my notes that I, when I as okay. I read, I take notes. And so like, there's this complete like nonchalant mention from Cassie's parents when she gets home. Of like, oh yeah, apparently a leopard escaped and attacked this guy. And in my brain, I was immediately like like flashing back to us discussing the underground. I'm like, holy shit, is this how they're justifying <laughs> all the animal attacks? And I got so excited until and then my so I uh I wrote down leopard escape question mark, cover up question mark, and I was so pumped. And then just a few notes later, legit wrote down, okay, the leopard isn't real, damn it. <laughs> What do you mean it's not real? Well, I mean, I uh, oh, the leopard is real. I wrote down the leopard oh. is real. Damn it, yeah. So <laughs> I was. <laughs> you thought it was like a conspiracy to? Oh no, they're not that smart. 
these are these are dumb kids. Well, we well, I'm, I'm not saying because we had just discussed it in the underground because I was having a mind melt of like what. How are they explaining away all these like animal bites and scrapes and attacks? And I'm like, ah, escaped leopard. That's how we're going to justify this. And then, no, it turned out to be a real leopard on the loose. Um, Which I have a very, this is another thing. Um, but as a kid, I didn't even question it. I was like, oh, leopard got out of the zoo. Cool. But now as an adult who has worked in a theme park that is technically, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Credited. After working in a theme park that is accredited as a zoo, I'm very aware of how these things work and where the animals are kept and how many barriers there are between them and people and how rarely they get anywhere outside of those barriers. So I just, I don't buy that a leopard just, oh, it just gets out and runs out into the wild. Like, no, uh, no, 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 no. Well, it, it, <laughs> it is mentioned that it belonged to a private collector. So it didn't come from like the gardens. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, this this news story, a leopard's escaped from some fool who keeps exotic animals. They think that it might have made it back up to the mountains, clawed up a man pretty badly. So it's right at the beginning of oh. chapter two. And then and even during that conversation, something really unsettling happens, which I have. Th this book just like plays again, plays fast and loose with like the rules of how morphing works, because as a wolf, Cassie bit the throat or whatever out of a horcruxier, and that's what kind of really causes her to spiral, because technically, Jake had already, like, called off the attack, but she still went for it, and that's where she's like, what the fuck? Like, what is wrong with me? But she gets home, and as she's talking to her mom, her mom's like, oh, sweetie, you got something in your teeth, and it was a chunk of horcruxier left over from when she morphed wolf? I mean, I buy that. I don't, though. Because, well, there's not that big of a change that goes from her wolf teeth to her human teeth. It's mostly just changing where they are in her mouth and, like, you know, the size of them. So I could buy I could buy a little bit of uh, meat getting stuck in there. I don't know why, but that was gross. It's not, like she, it's not like she swallowed it and then she's, like, vomiting it back up or something. Like, this is basically external. You know, we, there are other times where we see, like, I don't know if it's something that we've seen yet, but I know we see it at some point in the series, and it's really not much of a spoiler. Um, there are times when they morph, and they still have blood on their body from their morph. So, like, leg gets cut off, they morph back to human, they have a leg again, but, like, from the knee up, there's, like, blood on their knee. It makes sense, you know? That blood is still there. But, yeah, so this, that doesn't really bother me, the, the, the flesh being in her teeth. That makes sense to me. I think... Here's here's where we can get fun with it. I think if she had been aware of it, she could have morphed it away. Because they can morph clothing, and this would be stuck between her teeth. So I think that if she had known it was there, she could have morphed it out. I am failing to wrap my head around that. Like, I'll be I crazy this I, way. Like, if, Axe, if Axe can incorporate clothing into his morph, and if Tobias can too, into their human morphs, if Cassie had known something was in her mouth that was that small, she could have incorporated it into the wolf morph, and the next time she morphs wolf, it would be back in her mouth. I, I do love incorporating meat into my morphs. Mm -hmm. um, do is is it is it established that Tobias has incorporated clothing into his human morph? I don't remember it ever being directly acknowledged, but he definitely does morph to human in front of people all the time, and I think that they would bring it up if he was butt-ass naked. I mean, maybe they're just being polite, because maybe at this point he's just so used to not wearing clothing that he's like, yep, here's everything. That's true. He probably wouldn't give a fuck. But I'm pretty sure he does. Hmm. 
I know that it's acknowledged. I remember it being acknowledged in a future book. Um, it's coming up pretty soon. Okay. It's his, it's his next narrated book. Because I remember them talking about Rachel picking out an outfit for him. So they do mention it in some way. Stay tuned, dear readers. We will get there. <laughs> so I, I have a lot of questions about Karen. What is this, like, Cassie... I, I can't imagine that this 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 meeting gathering of the sharing was happening anywhere close to Cassie's house. And so Cassie A walked home herself and then B this little girl did, I feel like we don't get a really like solid age on her. Do we? She's implied to be I mean she's significantly younger than Cassie and Cassie is what 14 at the most right now. So this little girl, I, I think of her as being, like, somewhere around, like, 7 to 9. I don't think she's 10. I don't think she's that old. And <laughs> apparently is a child that doesn't, like, I should know how caterpillars work. I Yeah, again, I think that she's young. I think that she's, like, a very small girl. But it also makes you wonder, why was she at this sharing meeting where there was, like, battle being waged? Well, it, and, it, it was, like, it was a meeting... Like it was like the meeting was offset from like this big old gathering because they uh, Cassie talks right. about like she could hear the party in the distance, which I find odd because they're close enough to hear the party, but the party is not close enough that they could hear a Horkbashir screaming for its life. Exactly, and also I just I have a hard time understanding why if they're gonna have a small child infested, it usually is because they're trying to get that child closer to somebody who they can then infest which is what they were doing but like, right but then why is she also involved in like meetings and stuff you would think that she'd just be like some nobody or just like as a placeholder you know and also like in a position where she's um carrying the world's best hidden dracon beam <laughs> and then on top of that what the fuck happens to karen at the end of this book I this is this doesn't make sense because I I'm, I'm trying how does she to, get away? I'm trying to wrap my head around that be because I I would imagine because we learn we get a lot of your uh, physiology in this book which was actually really fun for me because like these are questions that mm -hmm. I had and we brought up uh, not that long ago with the underground um, we learned how like the Yurks have a you no know, vision but they have a great sense of smell and hearing and they communicate with almost echolocationally with like like dolphins with clicks and whatnot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so we, we learn all that and so i wonder if like uh like i would have to imagine that um aftran and karen like made some sort of deal as to how this was going to work because like like for, like none of this, first off this little girl had to have been kidnapped in order to infest her in the first place and how are they getting down like unless another member of her family is infested which is the whole point of them trying to get close to her dad who's the owner of a bank like, how are they getting da her down to the yerk pool every three days? Like, this kid is just up and disappearing every three days. I can't imagine that's easy for them to do. And then it's like, after I'm like in the pool and like blocking other yerks, from like, I I guess from sense of smell, they know who their host is. Like, oh, my host is headed in the water. Time to head back. And maybe like after is like blocking other yerks from trying to go near it. And then like Karen pretends like she's infested and walks away. But then I feel like if this is such a big plan to get to her father, then somebody would notice if she stopped showing up and Aftran was no longer re right. making reports. But, and then like, is maybe, no, 
because like my then thought would be like maybe Aftran is is still reinfesting her on the reg, but is not taking over control. But that doesn't seem right. So I'm very lost. Yeah, it's it's definitely the idea is there, but I think that when you start thinking about it too much, it just unravels, which is unfortunately you just described kind of a theme the entire series. Because <laughs> <laughs> we see Karen at the end, and because uh, she runs into Cassie at the mall, and apparently her mom, her first off, her 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 parents are billionaires, but they're still shopping at the mall. <laughs> I that does not track logically in my brain. Um, I'm not a billionaire and I don't go near malls. So we learn how Yerks are born. So when three Yerks mm -hmm. love each other very much, they <laughs> mush together and one of them explodes into babies and the other two die. Yep. I that you're welcome. Which I the thing that I really um wonder about is how many babies do they explode into? Because what is like the, it has to be more than three, obviously, but are we talking about like a crazy amount of Yerks being born like every day? Or is it like pretty stagnant? Like the same number of Yerks that are dying are also being born or like, what is their regeneration rate? You know, I want to like, well, what is the lifespan of a Yerk? Just from Visor Visor three alone. We know that he's at least like a decade old or so. Yeah. So I, I think that it's safe to say that they have lifespans similar to humans. But I wonder how often they reproduce, you know? Well, because, yeah, they, it, it, it kills everyone involved. Right. And so, like, I, well, like, then how did, like, how does, how do the couplings work? Is it just like all of a sudden, like, instincts take over and they're like, and we all fuck? Or is it. And here's the other question. Because clearly it, it results in multiple Yerks being born. Why then does Visor 3, why do we specify that his cannibal brother is his twin? Yeah, that got really confusing. Were they, were they born conjoined or something? like? Yeah, it because I actually I had to reread that section a couple times. Because I was like, wait. Because like the way I read it was that the three Yerks come together and make one new Yerk. And I'm like, that does not seem like a, a good way to reproduce because it takes three years to make one that's that doesn't seem right and so like that was very confusing to me three um, years joined together they literally join together with three bodies becoming one then that one body begins to fragment it breaks up into smaller pieces grubs they're called bit by bit the body disintegrates and each grub that falls away becomes another year sometimes there are twins two years from one grub the parent years die of course aha okay so Yes, so they literally do all three join into one. And then that one falls apart into little grubs. And then the grubs turn into yurks. And then sometimes one grub makes two? Yes, which is how we get Visitor 3 and his uh, cannibalistic brother. Billy Bob Fenestre, which is not it at all. Yes. So Bob Joe, John Bob, Billy Bob, Bob... I don't. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but we all we also learn from Aftran that we we we've got some like uh, conscientious objectors. That doesn't seem right. Um, like we have Yerks that don't want to be involved. They're just kind of like I, you know, I just oh, yeah. I just want to be like I I don't want to be stuck in sludge, but I also don't like I don't want to be fighting. I just want to live my life. 
but I, I, I have to kind of wonder, like, unless you're, I mean, if you're born into it, I kind of think of it like the, the, the story of the cave. Oh, Plato's allegory of the cave. Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's part, part of my English degree kind of being useful. <laughs> no, it very much is that though. I mean, the Yerks are basically just, they're sending each other their communication that they can with their, what Karen refers to as ultrasonic squeaks. But, like, they just know information. They just know their thoughts. They don't know what things look like, what things feel like. They don't know taste. They don't know smell. They don't know sound. And um, they really do. Like, as soon as they get a host, it's just, like, it's something that we can't even comprehend because we experience all of those um, senses, assuming that you are somebody who is completely able-bodied, you know? Um, So, in a way, I... It's exactly what you were saying at the beginning with that quote from K.E. Applegate. Karen's got a point. Aftran's got a point. You know, they really are given this, like, wonderful gift of getting to experience life in a whole different way. Why should we tell them they can't have that? Like, can we not give Yerks a symbiotic relationship with some kind of species? They kind of have that with Geds because Geds are so kind of just stupid. Like, they're they're very simple they don't really, they're kind of clumsy. They can't really see well. They don't really think for themselves. But it brings up a really interesting point that, you know, humans are very complex. Could we could we live with, like, a symbiotic relationship with the Yerks? How would that affect our evolution down the line, you know? I think it would be really interesting to see that happening. When you talk about the, the Geds, I mean, the Geds are there. Uh, like, this, uh, honestly, for about a split second, I, I damn near converted to vegetarianism as like mm-hmm. they were discussing everything because uh, like uh, there's a gr- fantastic philosophical conversation and I would sit and just read the whole thing to y'all, but you would hate my guts for it where they're back and forth where the uh, after like, well, you know, humans, you know, you you consume and destroy cows and pigs and all that. And like, what makes you any better than us wanting to do this and Cass is like well that's not the same and she's like nah it kind of pretty much is and you're like well you know the Geds again yeah maybe they like in our opinion or the Yerk's opinion they are slow dumb simple creatures but to the Geds they're like I'm a Ged look at me go with my awkward legs and the whatnots mm-hmm. and it's the same with like cows and pigs and like if you look at like pigs are actually very intelligent animals granted they don't really uh, mature past like the mental capacity of the human equivalent of a three-year-old but they they are able to learn they like music they uh, learn their names they can learn things like how are we assholes for love and bacon now like again there's like these heavy questions and these heavy philosophical conversations that do not belong in a young adult book for elementary school kids but here we are a lot of it goes in, like, I think it's around, like, chapter 12, 13, that whole area. Like, go back and read that and, like, feel your feelings about all of that. Because uh, it, it definitely, it, it's, again, it throws us into that that gray area that we don't see when it comes to our bad guys. Because they don't always come in announcing themselves. And I, I, I'll say it again. No one is the bad guy in their own story. We're all just trying to survive. And we do that however we can. So, mm-hmm. And the Yerks are doing the same. Uh, I don't agree with their methods, but here we are. <laughs> I like. Well, uh, I mean, I can't help but wonder: Are they like just like if the Andalites weren't being such dicks to them, 
would they continue expanding to try to find ways to fight the Andalites? It feels like the Andalites are their primary enemies. Um, yeah, we we will get a lot more of that in the coming books. Um, the Andalite Chronicles covers a lot of ground, and the hork Chronicles covers a lot of ground. So very soon we will get some answers to the history of the relationship between Yerks and uh, Andalites in more detail. But what we know of it so far is basically just the, the event of Ciro's kindness, which was uh, an Andalite named Ciro providing Yerks with Andalite technology because he pitied them and he felt that they did deserve to be able to travel beyond the stars, so to speak. Um, but then they end up saying, for whatever reason, the Yerks took that and decided to make it a galactic conquest, basically. So we get a lot more of, of the intricacies of what actually happened there. Um, just not for a couple more books. So yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting, we, I guess we are, we're moving into the companion books very soon, as soon as next week. Um, yes. But, uh, and then I, the only other thing that like, kind of like made me go, what is when um, Axe is just like very nonchalant about the whole idea of the morphing clock being reset. He's like, oh, it's a natural, it's a naturally occurring morph. And like, does that mean Andalites, out of like the 10 species they have on their home world, does one of them like have a naturally occurring morph? That that would even be a thought in his head? Yeah, you're right. He is a little bit too like lax about this. Like you'd think that he'd be like, holy shit, there's an exception to this rule. And instead he's just like, oh yeah, that. Yeah, he's like, oh, well, like then why does it like, would... That's not because like the lines are along the lines like he's like that's not the body she started in. And I'm like yeah no it caterpillar turns into a butterfly axe. Thought you thought you read the uh, encyclopedia. What what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> or the, it was it an all he read an almanac? Um, and he's like oh would she much prefer that? And Marco's like uh, better than a caterpillar I guess. And like uh, why don't she just morph human? That would be fucking nice, wouldn't it? And he's like no like. Why doesn't she morph human? And of course, Rachel's like, get that butterfly! Freedom or death! <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was, uh, that was, that was that. I, and I mean, that that's, I, again, I feel like there's just, uh, there's a, a, this is a very heavy book, but it is not one with a lot to talk about. I mean, we could discuss the, the rogue jaguar that's still out and about, but I feel like we are never going to see that again. So it was just there to be an antagonist through all of this, just to keep them moving. And to, I feel like it was just really a narrative device to uh, really prove to Aftran that Cassie was sincere in her wanting to strike this bargain and wanting to show that um, even though they are technically enemies, they can, they can work something out. Um, because she's constantly having to save, because this jaguar has fucking got it out for Karen. Which I mean, thank you for removing one more Karen from the world. We don't need them. <laughs> you know she, like you know she. This Karen probably grew up to be the original Karen. So yeah, I, I that's the that was the jaguar. And um, again, the the geography of where they live is going to continue to bother me <laughs> because Cassie lives close enough to these wild ass woods that there's bears, but just a couple hours away is the fucking desert, but also this, like, 
raging river with waterfalls and mountains like right there i'm telling you they live in a third grade geography textbook diagram <laughs> karen and her her dracon beam that she like she this tiny child managed to store a dracon beam that's meant for hork she even comments like i have trouble my fingers won't reach the trigger why'd they issue it to you because like it's made to be, it's made to be this whole thing. Because then she loses it, and she's like, "Oh fuck, I'm so fucked. I'm gonna get in so much trouble." Like they issue those out, and like you check that shit back in. So like, why didn't she get in trouble for the lack of Draken Beam when she finally like I I got questions like, or maybe no, because Aftran had to get back to the pool. Because then it would be like, oh, what if they just never found her? Because the, the Yerks are out looking for her. Right. So, like, what if they never found her? But then Aftram would have to die of Kendrona starvation. And then they would reinfest Karen, and then that Yerk would learn all of the secrets. But no, well, that Karen just, like, they just never see her again, somehow. Because if they never find, like... Because how, how does Karen get, like... K.A., I need answers. Let me look back at the end of the book. Karen is free of Aftran, or she's working with Aftran at the end. All, I'm fuzzy on that. All she says is, I'm free, and that she she kept her end of the bargain. Oh yeah, I'm free, she kept her promise, I'm free. So then, I guess Aftran is just chilling in the Yerk pool, not infesting anybody. Because if she did, she would be potentially giving that host her the secrets of the Animorphs, you know? Now, when Jake was infested in book six, we saw that the Yerk was able to shut him out. Yeah. And he wasn't able to see what the Yerk was thinking about unless he wanted him to. Now, in this book with Aftran, Cassie is able to look into Aftran's thoughts and memories easily. So, to me, that implies that Aftran is not particularly skilled at shutting the human host out of her thoughts. Which also tells me, if she infests somebody else, that host is going to know. And then as soon as that host gets infested by another Yerk that Yerk is going to know, and then everything just topples from there. Well, I, I feel like maybe, I because Aftran's been around the block. She's she's had quite a few um, mm -hmm. hosts before. So I think that, I think when it comes to that point where Cassie decides to become a, a voluntary controller, um, Aftran's made up her mind as to what her decision is going to be in terms of, of stepping back from this war. Uh, so I think it was a, a very intentional thing that Cassie was allowed into Aftran's memories because they'd already done hmm. so much sharing at that point with each other that I, I, <laughs> I feel like it was a sharing. Shut up. I feel like it was a very, uh, a, a conscious choice. I want to believe that. I want to believe that Aftran made the choice to let Cassie in and see everything. Yeah. Okay. I can buy that. Though I do want to be very mad at Cassie for taking such a leap of faith, because, like, Marco was pissed. Oh my god, yeah, Marco, that was, like, chilling. When he was just like, fuck you, Cassie. We gotta kill you now. <laughs> yeah, well, even even um, at the beginning, when Cassie has made the decision to leave the Animorphs, and they have, she skips school, and then they have, like, they all meet up at the barn, and she gets into that nasty fight with Rachel, and even like the back and forth between all of them, like that was intense. That was an intense yeah. fight between all of them. And Marco 
was particularly nasty as well. He was right on board with Rachel on in terms of nastiness. And and Cassie like sort of makes that implication because she she comments like her whole reason is that she was feeling nothing. She felt nothing about killing the Horcrugier. She gets the news that the clinic at, at the barn might be getting shut down because they've lost their their sponsorship and their money. And she's mm-hmm. like, I just felt nothing. I felt nothing about any of this. And it, again, she was slipping into a, like a really bad mental health place and like same girl, I feel you. But she basically implies to Rachel's face, like, I don't want to become you. And because mm-hmm. Cassie's like, I we could still be friends before she even gets the word friends out. Rachel's like, go fuck yourself because you basically just said, screw everyone on Earth. I'm more important to them and you do not want to become me. Like, heavily emphasize that point like that was intense and then marco comes to save the day and i feel like marco could have done if he was truly wanted to stop it he could have done something to move cassie away from little karen before getting in like that's some that's some craziness so and i also feel like now that i've like thought this through like timeline wise Aftran should have like started to be feeling the lack of Candrona because we're like she if if we if we break down the timeline so let's say she got fresh Candrona right before the meeting she follows Cassie home and is like just I guess chilling on the farm and I don't know if she leaves and comes back but also how is this child getting around like that Cassie does not live close to anything like the buses ain't running there but sure <laughs> and so We've got so we got point A, and we got the next day. We go through the whole day, and it's at that night when they get swept away, and they spend at least one night in a cave. And then we're now into the next day. Like she should be feeling some lack of Candrona right now, but I guess we're just kind of like forgetting all of that. We're just waving that away. Yeah, that's a good point too. She really should be feeling the effects of that. Um. Does she ever acknowledge that, like towards the end of the book, at least? Nope. It's the uh, they like she mentions at one point. She's like, "Oh, you know." Uh, she's, Hold on. She mentions like, "Oh, Kendrona starvation is not going to be fun." Like, if you decide to do something like that to me. Ah, so it's after um, she's infested Cassie, and she's like, "Aha! I'm gonna get away," and then Cassie thinks about the fact that her friends are coming for her, and. Aftern says, so, your friends are coming to rescue you or to kill you? And she says, to kill you, I told the Yerk. They'll hold me until you starve from lack of Candrona rays. I could tell Aftern was shocked. You know about Candrona rays? Of course, I see it now. I haven't had time to open all your memories. And then she says after that, and your friends will kill me. Do you know Do you know what it's like to die of Candrona starvation? Do you know the what kind of agony it causes? And that's the only time they talk about it. Granted, I would like to know, how do you know? what kind of agony it causes. Because I feel like anyone who's died of Candrona starvation has not come back to tell the tale. That's a good point. Because they can't... (laughs) Okay, no, no, no. How about this? Think about it this way. If a host has a Yerk who experiences Candrona starvation, the host is going to remember it. And then if that host is then infested by somebody else, that Yerk is going to be able to tap into the memories and not only know what it was like, but feel what it was like. And then be able to communicate that to other people. Okay, I'll, and by people I mean Yerks. I will buy that. I will. I will buy that. 
Um, the thing I was going to say is that Aftran actually brings up that there are other Yerks who believe that the Andalite bandits are actually humans. <laughs> but they're basically too afraid to question Visor 3. I, I feel like at this point, we all know that. Like, I feel like every mm-hmm. other Yerk knows, but Visor 3 is such a... I mean, again, we saw with Visor 1 uh, that they're a little bit just too... Because, like, the, the Lyran flat out was like, hey... That's a human, <laughs> and Visser One's like, no, sweetie, honey, baby, that's a monkey, or an ape, or a gorilla, <laughs> but like, yeah. Um, it's like, it's definitely a topic of conversation in the Yerk pool. They're all like, they're, they're Hydra sonically clicking at one another, like, we all know that it's humans morphing, right? And like, yeah, we know. <laughs> I want, like, that would be a great sitcom, just like water cooler chat in the Yerk pool. Just have like the, a Yerk pool, The Office. Oh my god! <laughs> I never watched The Office. I know the premise. I think it would be funny, for the sake of my sanity while editing. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Next week we will be discussing the Horkfisher Chronicles. If you'd like to read along, check out the show notes for a link to download the entire series for free on PDF. I know technically in the order of the PDF, the, we're kind of screwing things up again. The Horkajur Chronicles technically does not come this early, but we have made a decision and we are sticking to it. We are discussing the Horkajur Chronicles next. So that's where you need to jump to in your reading. Uh, the graphic novel of the invasion is now available wherever you buy books. There's a link to purchase in the show notes as well. New episodes of the Millennial Agenda are available every Monday with new Animorphs editions each Friday. You can find The Millennial Agenda all over your favorite social media on Instagram and Facebook as The Millennial Agenda and Millennial AG Pod on the Twitters. You can now support the podcast on buymeacoffee.com and receive access to bonus content as well as all sorts of other fun things. You can find that link in the show notes. And you can also visit the Hot Mess Press Co. on Etsy for official Millennial Agenda merchandise and some not-so-official Please Don't Sue Me Scholastic Animorphs merchandise, um, including a really fun shirt that I made for the barn wildlife rehabilitation center clinic oh yeah it's really cute i was i was very proud of it um and please 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 if you are listening especially on apple music which is where a good chunk of our listeners come from please rate and review us and write something nice or something mean but i'll still give it five stars but like sarcastically we'll know the difference if you do that so just five stars a plus good job good effort Unless you're the one person who's mad about how he pronounced the chi, because you're wrong. <laughs> um, I just screwed up my exit script. Uh, so please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Until next time, happy reading! So to me... The Rainforest Cafe is fancier than the Cheesecake Factory because at least the Rainforest Cafe understands its shtick and actually commits to it. God damn it. That joke would have been so much better if I had a memory.